Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Father, we thank you today for your word. We're grateful for all that you're doing in our lives. We pray that as we open the word of God today, that it would speak to our hearts. We ask that you would transform our lives. We pray that you would use it for your glory and that you would help us, Lord, to know you better and to be more like you, to do everything that you call us to in this life. I thank you for everybody that's tuning in. Would you bless them, strengthen them, fill them with your Holy Spirit as we simply look to you today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We're going chapter by chapter in the book of Acts. This is chapter four, and I think it's important that we do just a little bit of review. You might remember that I looked at Acts chapter one with you as we looked at how Jesus prepared his disciples for the mission that they were going to continue and carry out. Really, it's the mission of Jesus. He called them to continue his mission through his message And obviously, he was preparing them for what they needed, which was the power of the Holy Spirit. And we read about the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. That was where common people received the power of the Spirit. They were enabled to speak in heavenly languages. And this was providing evidence that it was, in fact, God. They prophesied. And of course, many gave their lives to Jesus. It says 3,000 people were saved and were baptized as a result of the day of Pentecost. At the end of Acts chapter 2, we looked at how the believers were getting together house to house. They were having meals together. They were praying together. They were submitting their lives to the apostles' doctrine. And these who were coming to Christ were Jewish. We know that because the Gentiles had not really been, the gospel hadn't been open to the Gentiles at this point, but it does happen throughout the book of Acts. We're going to see that in Acts chapter 10 in the house of Cornelius. Now, we also looked at Acts chapter 3. Pastor Steve McConnell led us in that discussion through that chapter on Friday, and you see how John and Peter are on their way to the temple in the hour of prayer, and while they're on their way, they see this blind man, or sorry, he wasn't blind, he was paralyzed, he was crippled, he was lame, the Bible describes him this way, since birth. And he was looking for alms. This was a common practice for people to see someone who was lame or blind or disabled in some way and give alms to the poor. This man expected to receive something from Peter and John, but they didn't have any money. And Peter says to him, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. He pulls the man to his feet. He is immediately healed of his lameness, of his being crippled. And this was such a powerful thing because everybody witnessed this. They knew this man was lame. They knew he couldn't walk. And now all of a sudden, in a moment, that's what God will do. In a moment, everything changes. And so they head on into the temple and there's quite a stir. There's quite an uproar as a result of this. And uh, we catch the tail end of that story as we start in Acts chapter 4. And we're going to go ahead and read starting in verse 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter and then we'll go back over and, and talk through what, whatever we have time to talk through. So here's what it says, Acts chapter 4 and verse 1. 
as they were speaking to the people, they were now evangelizing, just so you know, they're talking about Jesus. They were saying, it's not us, the power that we have, it's the power that is in Jesus who was crucified. So as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, they had to do that because Jewish law did not permit a trial at night, and so they, they had to go into jail overnight. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men that came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander. We don't know who John and Alexander were, but they were there. And all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and all who are the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. And we go to verse 17 here. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. But they, when they gathered, or when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish, punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was mo no more than 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God. Of course they did. They were excited. They lifted up their voices to God in one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage? And the peoples devised futile things. The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with confidence." This is really important. What could they pray about? What were they to ask for? What did they need God to do? Well, here's what they did. They asked God 
in the face of opposition for more confidence, for more boldness to speak the gospel. We need to take note of that. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. Grant that your bondservants may speak your word with confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place in the name of your servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were in common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was on them. For there was not a needy person among them for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each one as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now there is a lot that is going on here, and if I had a message today to share with you, and really I do, I just typed up some notes. I wanted to share with you some things that I actually think are really important as we observe this text. If I had a title for the message, I would call it Opposition to the Mission. Now, it's important to recognize this. Jesus had been ministering throughout the Gospels three, three and a half years. Jesus was crucified. He rose from the dead. Now the disciples are grappling with all of that after the resurrection. Jesus prepares them in Acts chapter 1, and they're they're waiting upon the power of the Holy Spirit. They experience the power of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. As they experience the power of the Holy Spirit, people are giving their lives to Jesus, and there's so much that is transpiring. They're trying to figure out how to organize this new movement called the way, Christianity. What do we do now? How do we organize this? I mean, think about how many homes they would need in order to have a true small group movement. You got 3,000 people that have been saved and baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this thing is increasing at an exponential rate. And so organization is really only important when you have revival. And I want to say that again. Until you have revival, you do not need organization. Sometimes we try to over-organize everything in the church, and what we really need to do is cry out for revival. When we have revival, then we have a problem and we need to organize, all right? And we've got to make sure that our priorities are straight. They're experiencing revival. Now they need to organize, and that really is the plight of the book of Acts is they're experiencing the power of God. They're experiencing movement of revival through the power of the Holy Spirit, and now they're trying to figure out how to do life as things are increasing exponentially. And in the book of Acts chapter 4, as we're studying this, what we see is that first taste of opposition because the Sadducees, who were the controlling body of the temple and so on, the ruling elders, the priests, they come out to see what's going on here in Acts chapter 4, and they thought they had put all of this to rest. They thought they had taken the Nazarene out. Jesus is no longer alive, so now the reports of him being raised from the dead trouble them deeply. And so they're, of course, going to try to silence what they thought they already had silenced. Now the believers are experiencing opposition. This is not the last time, but it certainly seems like it is the first time now that the movement is underway. And so we could think through this a little bit. What do we do when we experience opposition? 
we start preaching the gospel, sharing our faith, sharing our testimony, talking about Christ, talking about our church. We, we're in the world and we're not of the world. We're sharing about Jesus because Jesus is our identification. We, we, our identity is found in him. We identify with Christ, not just theoretically, spiritually, but in every way, we identify with Jesus. Our identity is found in him. As we do that, whether it's sharing a testimony or just talking about church or whatever it might be, we're going to experience opposition. They did, we will. And so I look at this passage, this 31 verses, I believe it is, in, in, through the lens of their initial opposition. And I want to just take away some thoughts that I think will help us when we consider that we too will have opposition to the mission that Jesus has assigned to us. We're continuing his mission and his ministry. Clearly, that's what we see from the book of Acts. We're going to experience opposition just as they did. So a couple points that I want to bring up as we observe the text today. The first one is this. Opposition is inevitable. In this passage, right after uh, Peter preaches the gospel, the religious leaders throw them in jail. They're not hurting anybody. In fact, they're healing people and they're sharing the good news. Lest you and I think if we go about sharing good news, if we're healing people, if we're doing right and righteous things, nobody's going to bother us. Actually, that is not true. Here they are sharing the good news. They heal somebody that clearly was lame since birth. And as a result of that, they are thrown in jail. Without diving deeper, um, the response of Peter uh, John uh, seems out of place, how they're responding to what Peter and John are doing. And the truth is, not everybody wants to be saved, healed, and delivered. You, you have to understand that. Just because the gospel is the good news, just because everybody needs Jesus, does not mean everybody wants Jesus. And we see that in this passage. There's a group of people here, the, the ruling body, the temple guard, the priests, the Sadducees. Those are the ones that they're complicit in the death of Christ, right? So they clearly did not want anything to do with Jesus. They wanted to silence the voice that's speaking about his resurrection. They believe it's a controversy, so they want to kill it as it lives. And this is where they're coming from. They don't want to have anything to do with what Peter and John are talking about at this time. And so my point in all of this is that as the religious leaders try to control the people and shut all this down, we've just got to remember that opposition is inevitable. You can't assume that just because you're doing right and righteousness or righteously, you're saying the right things, you're doing the right things, you're loving people. You cannot assume that that's going to mean that you're going to get equal treatment. In fact, you're going to get opposition. That's just what they did. That's what's going to happen to us. Jesus said something about this in John 15, verse 18 through 20. He said it to the disciples that are now experiencing the very things that he talked about. He said this, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this world that hates you, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep your word also. And Jesus is reflecting on something that has been true, and he's projecting what will be true. They hated me. Who's they? Those that are rebellious and persisting in their rebellion. Those that want to follow their own way 
or the enemy, they're going to continue to follow their own way and they're going to continue to follow the voice of the enemy. And he's telling them, if this was true, it will be true. He's preparing their hearts. When Jesus speaks to his disciples and consequently us who read the word of God, he is preparing our hearts so that we are ready when anything comes our way. You and I are called to be ready. We, we should not be disillusioned. We, we need not be discouraged. We must understand that opposition is coming. Now, it isn't saying that we want that. It isn't to say that this is exciting, but it is to say that it is a part of the Christian life. And to not know that is to not know the word. To not expect that is to read Jesus's words and go, maybe other people, but not me. Listen, he told us what we needed to know, and we need to be clear about this. The word for persecute means to pursue swiftly in order to overtake. Jesus warned them that people will pursue them for their own reasons and for their own motives. For them doing the right thing, people will, will pursue them. And I think we need to be careful that we don't accept other Christian messages that suggest a perfect life, um, just this externally happy life. Everything about our life is going to be so amazing. Tell that to the Christians all over the world that are experiencing deep persecution. Tell that to the people that have given their lives for the gospel of Jesus, and they were as loving as you can be. Jesus was the most loving person on the planet, and human beings killed him. This is the reality. No matter how loving we are, love includes the truth, the message that saves. There is no other name that is given among heaven that by which men can be saved. There is no other name. Nobody can be saved except through the gospel of Jesus. When we preach, when we share the gospel of Jesus, not everybody is going to be happy about it. Not everybody is going to be excited about it. That is the spirit of Antichrist in the world. And I think it's really important for us to understand that those who want to continue to follow their sinful and rebellious ways will oppose us regardless of, of, of what we want. This is inevitable. The second point I want to bring up is opposition cannot stop the message of Jesus. Clearly, we see that uh, in verse 4, they get thrown in prison. But here it says in verse 4, it specifically says that many believed. They had already preached enough. They had already healed the lame man. And the words that they had shared, right as they're getting thrown into prison, it says that they were a, it, was a, it was enough for these people to believe. I'm just going to read verse 4. But many of those who had heard the, the message believed the number of men that came to be about 5,000. See, at this point, the church is growing. Believers are giving, or people are giving their heart to Christ. They're becoming believers in Jesus. Opposition cannot stop the message. In fact, I would tell you that when opposition comes, it causes people who are following the Lord, who are preaching his word, who are seeking to be a demonstration of Christ to the world. We thrive in that environment. We should not be discouraged. We should not be dissuaded. We should not be persuaded. Otherwise, we know that when opposition comes, the church always thrives. There were people, there will always be people that will try to shut us down, but listen to me, they cannot shut us up. They can shut us down, but they cannot shut us up. The gospel of Jesus will carry an echo. The hearts of men and women that truly desire God will be given over to him. And I think it's important for us as we look at this and understand that opposition comes, that opposition cannot shut us down. It can, or it cannot shut us up, even if they try to shut us down. 
but opposition does not stop the message of Jesus. Number three, opposition will make us bold. To me, this is interesting as we observe the text and we observe the confidence of Peter and John. Our fear that we often have is a lie to us. The opposition will seek to make us weak. It will seek to silence us because fear will try to grip our hearts. But listen, opposition will actually make us bold. When we accept the reality of opposition as they had to, as Jesus tried to prepare them for, what will happen is we realize this is our lot in life. If something happens to us, if somebody says something against us, we need not take this personally. We are a part of the kingdom of God. We are a part of what Jesus is doing. We carry a message. We have a ministry. Opposition's going to come. As we embrace that, as we accept that, what will happen is we will get bolder, not um, in a brazen or brash way, but in a way where we're, we're confident that what we have, what he's given to us, is so necessary that we won't shrink back and we won't hold back. It's not time to shrink back. It's not time to hold back. And it's important for us to confront our fear, the fear that's afraid to have persecution or to have opposition or to have someone not like us or to have someone part ways with us. We may have all kinds of people part ways with us because of the message that we have, because of the life that we live. But the fact is, is that we also need to think about those people that won't. We've got to think about those people that will turn to Jesus because of our life, not the people that will turn away from us in relationship. We can't be thinking about that. This is not about us. This is not about our family. This is not about us having that family that we always wanted and the American dream and the feelings of nostalgia and legacy that we want to pass on and the traditions. We've got to give all that to Jesus. If that's what we want, if we just want this traditional thing that we pass on to everyone else and we don't want any persecution and we don't want any opposition and we want to live this nice cookie cutter clean life, we've got to give that up. We've got to give that over to Jesus. Well, there's a lot that we'll get to enjoy in this life. Amen and amen. We get to enjoy a lot of things in this life, but some things that we're holding on to, we need to let go of. We need to not be afraid of what might happen when we fully surrender to the person and purposes of Jesus. It's one thing to believe in Jesus, receive forgiveness, and wait for heaven. It's another thing to be on mission with him. We cannot read the book of Acts and not be convinced that the Christian's life should be found not only in the person of Jesus, but also in the purpose of Jesus. This is what he told us to do. And we must be convinced that when we're reading the book of Acts, that Jesus is calling modern day disciples to step out of the boat and say, game on. That's where we're at. Opposition, hey, bring it on. It's not that I want it, it's that I understand it's coming and we're not afraid of it. And in this, we confront our fear. Opposition will not bring out the worst in us. It will bring out the bold in us. It's where you remember who you're following, who you are speaking for, and why it matters. It's where we remember that our, our life is not our own. We've been bought with a, with a hefty price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Opposition will make us bold. And lastly, opposition will make us pray. In verse 23 and 24, there's something very powerful that happens here. They are released from prison. They went to the home of their friends. They tell them about what happens. They all rejoice. They begin to lift their voice in one accord to God. And immediately as they pray, 
what happens is the place where they are praying is shaken. I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, when they get out of prison, they don't go and tell their friends and everybody gets afraid. They tell their friends and they immediately start to pray. Immediately they start to pray. They don't go to worry or fear or board up their windows or close down their Facebook accounts or whatever. What they do is they immediately look to God and they realize that this is what he had prepared them for. The opposition that came showed them that they were in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. Isn't that amazing? That it would seem, as some would preach today, that opposition is somehow not the thing that's going to come your way as a Christian. What a lie from the devil, right? It will make us shrink back and think, you know, life is supposed to be easier than this. Life is supposed to be much more enjoyable than this. Peace and joy is not based on what our life is like externally. It's based on what Jesus gives to us internally that cannot be taken from us. This is what is powerful. They look up to God. They begin to cry out to him. The place where they are praying is shaken, physically shaken. We're talking earthquake, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking power of the Holy Spirit. We're talking God moves in a way that nothing else and no one else can move. We're talking that they experience the confirmation of just how they are supposed to feel. They're supposed to feel like God is powerful. They're supposed to feel like God is going to come through. They're supposed to feel like where they're at and what they're doing is the right thing. And bam, God begins to pour out his power in such a manifested, tangible way that it silences any other doubt or fear right then and right there. The place where they were praying had shaken. And as it's shaken, the, the boldness that was released on their life, it says that they began to preach the word of God in greater boldness. That is not typically the response of people who are experiencing persecution, we would think. But actually, what we learn is it truly is. When you know that you're going to get persecuted, when you know that there's opposition, and you begin to pray, God strengthens you, God gives you boldness, God gives you this tenacity, it's this spirit-filled, fortified strength that God gives so that you can face anything. You can face anything. They face death. They, they as we will see unfold in the book of Acts, they gave their lives for the gospel. And so they needed this type of supernatural power. When we experience opposition, we begin to press into our prayer lives because we feel our need. If you're going through any opposition right now, you're struggling at all, you have to understand that when you feel helpless, when you feel like you're at the end of yourself, when you feel like you're at the end of your rope, that is where you've got to look up. You've got to look up. You've got to see the Lord. You've got to ask for him to pour out his spirit on your life. We have got to grab hold of God. That's the point. It's not over. People on mission press in. They begin to pray. They begin to seek God. And as we do that, God will pour out everything that we need. Listen, God hears us. God sees us. God loves us. God is with us. He is with us in the mission that he has given to us. And we are not going to back down. It's time for us to step up, speak up, not back down. I don't want a religious form that denies the power. We want a powerful posture before the Lord, and that starts in prayer, and it stays in prayer, and it causes us to be bold 
and we won't back down when we stay in the place of prayer, posturing our hearts before God, surrendered to him, ready to continue his ministry and his mission, we won't back down. Opposition to the mission will come, but the mission is still the mission. Jesus has still called us. His power is still available. His message is still powerful. The gospel still works, and you and I are still alive. We're still breathing, which means God's not done yet, and it's time for us to continue what Jesus began. So we, we welcome whatever comes as a result of that, knowing that God will give us everything that we need. I pray that you're encouraged today and that you realize not that you're excited about opposition that might come, but that you're prepared for it. That's the goal today. The goal is to know that whatever comes, Jesus is enough, and whatever he gives will always be enough to face whatever comes. And that is good news. Amen and amen. Well, hey, let's pray into that for a moment, and then uh, I'll give you a few announcements, and uh, we'll wrap up our time today. But thanks for being with me. Let's go ahead and pray together right now. Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you that you've prepared us in advance for things that are coming. Lord, we don't desire persecution or opposition, but we know that things are gonna happen. And so right now, Lord, we just pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, that you would give us boldness through your word, and that today you would give us encouragement that no matter what happens, no matter what comes, no matter what we experience externally, internally, whatever opposition we face, we know that you are enough and that you'll give us everything that we need. God, I pray for you to release rivers of encouragement today. Strengthen your body, strengthen your people. We need you, we declare our need for you, and we love you. No matter what may come, Lord, we love you and we're after everything that you call us to. In Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.